and the non-believers shall be cast out from the kingdom of heaven and struck down by the wrath of God the Almighty. We are recording. Woo! Okay, we're back. Okay. All right. Do you want to know who did give people uh, bodily autonomy, specifically women? Sure. God. Mm. Isn't that nuts? I'm about to make the dangerous case that uh, God is pro-choice. So. Oh, yeah. I'm there for it. <laughs> Using the Jesus birth story. So, um, very common story in the Bible, Jesus' birth preceded by an angel visiting a young woman named Mary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether or not the story is true is irrelevant, right? Because it's the messaging, it's the lesson behind it. So the angel comes to Mary and says, like, Mary, you're going to have a baby, conceived of the Holy Spirit, all the fun stuff. So I'm going to be reading, this is a Luke 1, um, starting at 35, and then um, going through 38. So the angel answered her, and said, the Holy Spirit will come to you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy Child developing inside you will be called the Son of God. And then he goes on to speak about Elizabeth, Mary's relative who was pregnant with John the Baptist at the time. And then Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. Let everything you have said happen to me. Then the angel left. Hmm. The angel only left after Mary gave consent, Mary had to say, or Mary was given the opportunity to say, let it be. The angel could have left after the message. The angel could have dipped out of there and just said, glory be to God. The angel didn't. If we determine that scripture is important in its wording and in its direction of wording and in its messaging, we cannot ignore when the angel left. It was after Mary had said, everything you have said, let it be. Mary gave consent. For her body that was an autonomous decision if god gave a woman autonomy in the decision for the birth of the most important christian figure it goes to stand maybe we should do the same <laughs> <laughs> just maybe i don't know it's crazy right um it's radical yeah it's lit i can't believe that it's happening here and now so yeah god is based god is great uh thank you god for this food (laughs) (laughs) super fun (laughs) um sorry so we kind of went into romantic relationships we talked a little bit uh, about like autonomy and how it's really important uh spiritual autonomy is also very important you should have autonomous control over your spiritual life as well outside of the external factors of a religious organization but that's kind of something that you have to self-regulate it's not really anything that no one can do that for you unfortunately we can't help you with that One quick uh, extra point on romantic relationships is that this particular style of interaction, specifically with the romantic one, using religion for inappropriate behavior can often be the source of shame we feel in our own homes. Feeling shame in a church, I more so understand. And I, it sucks. I hate it. I hate that it happens to people. I can't do anything really about that, right? I can't do much about how much shame you feel in your church, but you should never have to feel shame in your home. I think most people would agree with that. Even people who technically disagree with me would say they agree with that. Like, you seem like a bad person if you, if you disagree, you think kind of an asshole. Now we're getting on to some of the juicier bits. We're gonna talk about 
this authoritarian behavior within the church and within mm. your temples. That's where Sorry. the, yeah, it's the source, the source of the beast. Found okay. the source of the ticking noise. So I wrote out some questions that people, even we, even we as three perfect human beings with no flaws, should ask mm. themselves in regards to their spiritual environment to sort of be a guideline to see if you can identify some risk factors. Number one is a biggie. Who holds authority in your church? Who keeps them accountable? Can you name people in your faith institution that you can go to if a leader is being inappropriate or authoritative? It's a question for us. I mean, yeah, I don't know. But it's important to identify what is the authority in your religious institution? And is there an account? Is there a well-known, well-trusted, accountable uh, accountability system in place for that authority. Checks and balances, baby. Checkies and balance. Yes. Um, get in, bitches. We're going to checks and balance this place. <laughs> so yeah, especially the can you name people in your faith environment that you can go to if a leader is being inappropriate or authoritative. Yeah, is the that's, that's a really important one. And that's not something I had really thought about before because when you, you know, you ask me the question of who is the authority, it's, you know, obviously it's the, the head pastor and the associate pastors. So even before I like left faith, I could still name those people at my old church, mm-hmm. but I haven't got a clue who I talk yeah. to because to me, they're all within the church. So if I had a problem with the leader of the church, they have to answer to him. Bing, 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 bing. You did it. <laughs> you answered correctly. <laughs> We need like whistleblower rules within churches. Yeah. Mm. Now, some church institutions do have a council of elders that acts independently of the head pastor. However, often the council of elders will choose the pastor. So there is a little bit of a, if the pastor's being inappropriate, chances are the council's okay with it. This is starting to sound more and more like the America's political landscape, to be honest. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Uh, and we will be getting into that in a different pod that we had uh, spoken about earlier that I'm excited to do. Um, so the next question is, does your community discourage free thinking? Now, most people are going to automatically say no. They're going to automatically say, no, of course they don't. They encourage us to delve in. So here is something that I hope will help determine whether or not your religious environment discourages free thinking, what I would call critical thought, critical theory. Do your leaders actively encourage you to seek answers for yourself? So how many times does the leadership around you give you an answer versus how many times have they encouraged you to seek an answer? Now, understandably on certain topics within religion, I expect a religious leader to give an answer. When it comes to issues like your body or being a parent or it's like things that have nothing directly to do with your religious experience itself, things that are maybe more personal. Are they telling you what to think on that? I think the distinction comes down to, are you asking about, uh, a fact or an occurrence or a historical event that maybe someone who has studied in theology would have a better idea on, better. or better. are you asking for guidance towards a personal decision or uh, something that is more based in opinion and a little more nuanced, right. then you're probably going to have to 
you, you would you would want to seek that for yourself yeah and i i will say this there's nothing wrong with going to people you trust with wanting to get feedback or wanting to get the opinion of on topics on oh yeah anything. absolutely yeah there's nothing wrong with that but what is your initial reaction when you have a question because you reflect your environment you will always reflect your environment that is the whole reason of having an environment so does your environment, do you really think that it encourages you to seek information yourself and to use your spiritual leadership as guidance and as a support system rather than the source of your views, of your viewpoints, of your ideology? And it's very easy to get wrapped up in that. It's very easy to follow a charismatic leader. Normally pastors are very good public speakers. They have to be, they're trained in it. Like they should be, you should be a good public speaker if you're gonna be a pastor. That I mean, I don't know. I went to a church that was kind of like this, like pastor, whatever their name was at the time said it, it's true. And it wasn't necessarily like an overt brainwashing type thing. It was just, they are the pastor. I enjoy what they're saying. So it's true. And I don't know how to properly identify the harm in that. I know it is harmful, but I don't know the proper wording to convey why I think it's harmful. Like I know what I know how to talk about that to somebody outside of religion. I like I can just call it brainwashing, uh, intentional or unintentional. But for those in religion, I don't exactly know how to kindly word why that's a problem. Maybe yeah, one of you might know. Uh, that's tough. Uh, you put me on the spot here. I, I, you know, it's easy to reach for the brainwashing or the indoctrination lo- labels because that's immediately where my mind goes. Right. Um, and I think of this group, you're the, probably the best position to be able to speak to somebody in, in that position because I, uh, I have a tendency to rant. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Let me think about it. Uh, just to be clear on what you're saying, you're saying you're trying to explain brainwashing to someone who's being brainwashed. Right. Oh, boy. Um, trying to explain why it's an act why is it a problem so the question that i'm anticipating receiving is why does a problem why is it a problem for me to seek the guidance of my spiritual counselor yeah well, oh hold on now <laughs> that's a slippery but slope, that's that's but that's for people who are in that's for people who are in the church like i i oh, can't okay, yeah, yeah i can't speak saying. to them from outside like i can't use outside language when i'm speaking to them you know mm-hmm. i can't go in there and go your pastor may have good intentions, but at the end of the day, the behaviors that they are producing within you by causing you to surrender your critical thinking for spiritual enlightenment have ultimately harmed your ability to identify red flags in your parasocial relationship with them. I can't say that because they're just going to block me out. <laughs> <laughs> unfriend you on Facebook. They're going to, un- oh no, they're going to unfriend me on Facebook. They're going to go over to uh, WeChat. What, what is the, no, Parler. That, that's oh, what it is. Yeah, it's, it's hard to communicate concern. I don't, I don't expect people in religion to take me seriously when I say I have your best interest at heart. Like I want you to be the best person you can be. And I don't think that most of them think altruism can come from the outside. So like, I'm not trying to convince you to leave your religion. But if you have behaviors that are unhealthy, if there are behaviors in your religious environment that are unhealthy, I feel it is my duty as another human being to try to get you out of a healthy environment, not have you leave your faith. That's not, that's not my goal. That's a, pers- that's a personal decision. I'm not trying to convince you to do that. That's about as personal as me trying to convince you to eat Wendy's every day. I'm not gonna try to get you to do that, it's stupid. But you don't have to leave your faith to 
to leave a harmful religious environment. I was just going to say, if, if we wanted to draw the parallel again here to domestic violence or domestic abuse, you can make a very similar argument in saying like, trying to help someone out of a, an abusive relationship is not the same as saying you should never be in a relationship. Right. Um, I think it's quite the opposite. I think you're saying that relationships are meant to be more than this and they're supposed to foster growth and love and equity and, and the current relationship you have is not doing that for you. Um, and I think the distinction there is you can leave a relationship without leaving all relationships. Right. So you can leave a harmful environment without leaving religion. Yeah. I mean, often the, the feedback that I get from Christians that I know that are having this internal issue, like right now, like I have a, a, a number of friends, I have a non-zero number of friends that are going through this <laughs> like specific thing right now that are worried that they are identifying red flag behaviors in their own personal lives and they don't they don't want to leave their religion and i and i encourage them not to because i'm like if, it, if you feel it makes you a good person to be religious be religious great i will fight for your right to be so i want to like hug these people and tell them like i promise you i'm not i'm not a scary blood drinking satanist trying to get you to leave your church i just don't want you to be in an environment where you're human ability to use critical thinking is being damaged for an emotional high. There are brilliant theologians, brilliant. And they are the ones who, their writings are the ones that have convinced me that you do not have to sell your mental capacity to be religious. If anything, like theologians were way ahead of their time when it came to progressive theology or whenever it came to progressive philosophy, like they, they were way ahead of their time on like thinking about thinking came from the like religion like that frame of thought some of the most brilliant minds in history have been religiously driven i guess i'm frustrated with this idea this culture and especially american religion where you have to sell that part that beautiful intellectual part of yourself to experience like spiritual enlightenment because some dude on a stage in a flannel shirt told you you had to and people buy it. And I don't know how to communicate to them. I have your best interest at heart here. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt you. I just see you hurting yourself and it hurts to watch. Yeah. And I, I think, oh, go ahead, Ben. Uh, you're going okay. this time. Nope. And you're going this time. Go. Oh, freak. Okay. So I, I think a good argument we could use for the, for like, to get to those people is if you're experiencing red flags or like this diminished critical thinking, the ideal version of Christianity would not produce red flags. It would not produce a lapse in critical thinking. So if it's not the ideal version of Christianity and all of Christianity is about getting to this ideal form of humanity of yourself or whatever, then it's not doing you any favors to stick around in that place for your religious goals. That is not doing you any favors i would love to see a genuine like i'm talking act like i'm not talking culture i'm talking actual real like christian revolution like take back the church i'm not saying that like i don't think it was ever really in a good place but like <laughs> it hurts to watch because so many of these mm -hmm. people just want to do the right thing and that is admirable but they just got led down a bad path and there's this pair so there's a parable it's not a scriptural one, but it's, it's just a parable of a calf that walks through the woods and it makes a trail. And the calf is just wandering. The calf is, you know, it's a calf. It's, 
It's a baby cow, a little tiny grass puppy, and it's just walking through the woods. But eventually somebody else, a, a, a human comes by and sees the path that it walked. And assuming that that's a real path, it walks that path. And eventually that path is used more and more and it turns into a road and it becomes an established like a trail like merchants and shit use. I know that might, it probably sounds off and I'm not telling it quite correctly, but I kind of feel like that's where the church has wound up. Like people assume that this established belief system has to be adhered to for it to be real Christianity. And that's not true. I would love to identify myself as a Christian again, but in good conscience, I cannot do it in the current state the church is in. Like I would love to be able to consider myself a part of the church, but right now I don't see a moral way for me to do that. I have two comments on that. The first one is about your, your parable of the road. And it seems to imply that there was no intention in ever making that road. And I think Christians have a problem with that because a lot of the rhetoric that I have encountered on when I bring up stuff like that, or, you know, the classic one is like, what about all the books in the Bible that got left out? And uh, the rebuttal to that is, well, God intended them to be left in and God intended them to be left out. So whatever was supposed to be in is in. And so I think the same logic is applied here where it's like, well, God intended the Christian church to be wherever it is right now. Therefore there's a reason there's logic behind it and it must be respected because this is ultimately what God wanted. Um, And so I think that's, that's kind of my feeling on that, on how we got here and why we got here and why people aren't willing to, to investigate further. Um, And this is going back a little bit, but I just wanted to make this point before we moved on uh, about, I'm sure you've heard the saying hurt people, hurt people. And in a similar way, religion the people that are 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 being traumatized and don't know it are victims too yeah even though some of their beliefs are victimizing other people they are still victims themselves Um, and so we have victimized people victimizing other people and that is very tough for me personally and so i I have been really trying to like just grapple with that that idea uh lately of like what happens when someone who has been victimized is now victimizing. Yeah. <laughs> and like, how do we, how do we stop that cycle? And I think that's what we're trying to get at here because at the end of the day, like I do feel bad for these people. Um, like if you're being religiously traumatized and, and you don't know it, or you feel stuck and you feel you can't get out. Um, like I, I hurt for you. To me, the Christians that I hear having like these discussions, the discussion we're having right now, like they're having these thoughts. There's a teaching in scripture about the remnant. There's a, there's a remnant of God's people, which are, and it specifically it was talking about Israel. So it's talking about, there's a remnant of Israel. So you have like Israel, big, you know, nation Israel, but then you have the Israel people. It was a smaller number than the people within Israel. So therefore, like, basically it's talking about the remnant is like the true people, right? The remnant are those who are faithful and they're true. The Christians that I hear having these conversations that are concerned that are worried about the direction the church has been going in for centuries now i would consider them to be like that to me that's true faith that's you wanting to foster a healthy faith i would consider those to be people of god like if they were like i'm a person of god i would be like i believe you because their moral convictions are not overridden by their religious conviction religious conviction uses tools like shame religious conviction uses tools of authoritative teaching and it's not good 
It's just not. And I wish that people could find a way out of that. So the next question, um, there's only two more, is does the teaching in your religious environment include um, self-deprecating messaging? That does not mean self-improvement messaging, which if you were going to talk about self-improvement, there has to come from the premise that there is something to improve. And I understand that. And some Christians are going to tell me that that's what it is, right? However, worm theology, if you're going to use the word un, you are unworthy in a religious teaching, I'm out the door. Not that I think mm-hmm. that I am, because I, I think that we all have room for improvement. And, you know, you, you never reach the goal and you spend your whole life working towards it. And that's the whole point. And I think that that's, I think that that's worthy of a good fight. But especially when it comes to children, to teach a child from the get-go, you're not worthy. After you were apparently worthy enough to be created, after you were apparently worth giving life to, after you were apparently worth having a personal relationship with the creator, and after you were apparently worth dying for, you're still not worthy. Sorry. And I guess I kind of plays into your point of hurt people hurt people. Like mm-hmm. the people who preach this don't feel worthy either. And it's so sad. And it makes me really understand when scripture says God wept for his people, it makes me cry sometimes. Like I just, I get really upset because like, I love these people. Like I want them to have healthy, happy lives and they just aren't going to find it in the environment that they're in. This is probably one of the most contentious points of uh, religion to me. And one that I want to spend an, at least one episode talking about uh, bring is what up, you call... Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. No, it, what we're talking about right here, uh, what you call worm theory. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm hesitant because I don't want to turn people off because I think we're doing good here and I think people are listening. And I really want to drop an F-bomb, so I, I just don't know if I should do it. Um, well, we fudge. Say fudge. Say fudge. And the A word. So. Oh, fudge. Bananas um, okay. and apples. This is the most uh, fudged up part of religion for me. Um, yeah. And it, it's in so many ways irreconcilable for me. And, and so many ways it was the reason that I like, left religion is the idea that we are born unworthy. That in and of itself is enough to religiously traumatize someone. I don't think you'd have to go any farther than that. Like if, if you walked into my office and said this authoritative ideological system that I was raised in for 18 years preached that I was unworthy until God died for me. I'd be like, oh, if you said Oh, enough, no, but even, even now, though, even then, you, you had, like, the die to self is to gain in Christ. You have to die to be worth something. Oh, can, can you imagine? Like, that is yeah. so messed up. Like, I, I can't even. The oh, people who yeah. make me really mad, the people who I, I turn from sadness to anger towards are those who acknowledge that. They yes. say what me and you are saying, and they still, they still say, but it's glory to God. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it is not. It is not. God is not glorified in pain. I mean, no. so that is not to say God is glad, God can be glorified through healing. And healing can bring pain, for sure. For instance, I'm going to use an extreme example because people love extremes. An addict, a methamphetamine addict, detoxing. There are some people who find spirituality helps them in a rehab sense with drug addiction. Great. I'm sure that that healing brought pain. Pain should not be shame. Like that's where the issue is for me is that they call shame pain 
and they think that that's enough. And they say, glory to God in the pain. No, 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 no. No, F you. <laughs> Fudge you. I don't want to hear it. Stop telling people they're unworthy. Pfeiffer, you yeah. look like you got something to say. Oh, just the, the whole worm theory. I keep, I, like, I, I keep having Hercules pop in my mind with yes. pain and panic, like, fall <laughs> yes. down at Hades, and we are worms. Pain and panic were actually, they actually built the first church. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the next question to ask yourself after you uh, identify the worm inside is, does your religious leadership preach or message that other religious groups are less than dangerous or other terms that may lead you to develop harmful views of other groups? Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that does not mean that your religious leader cannot say that uh, other religions are incorrect, because if you follow a religion, I anticipate you think other religions are incorrect and that's why you're following yours. Some people are universalist or Unitarian and that's fine. Perfectly cool. I'm those people I vibe with. Um, I vibe with yeah. the Unitarians, but I, 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 I mean, I, I think that that's a healthy conversation to have within your religious experiences. Um, <laughs> I think it's healthy to have conversations of comparing your religious beliefs to other religions um, and basing the validity of yours off of that. That's fine. Perfectly yeah. fine with me. But yeah, the self, uh, sorry, the deprecation of other religions from your religion can be a sign of authoritarian toxic behavior. Something that came up for me when you said that, you said deprecation, and you also said self-deprecation earlier. So mm -hmm. really, we're depreciating the self and depreciating others, and I'm, I'm just wondering what we're left with. Oh, well, see, that's the thing. That's, the whole is filled with the attention of your authority figure. Mm. That's the ticket. It's, I don't want to, like, turn people off right now. <sighs> All right. If you're still listening to this, if, if, you, if you care to listen, please stick with me. I promise you I'm going to try to bring it together at the end of this statement. It is the very strange to me now and what I would identify as a toxic behavior in uplifting the spiritual input of a spiritual leader over any other follower of the religion. What does that mean? Okay, so an example. It is the spiritual duty of pastors to take care of their flock. So if you're in the hospital, they're probably going to come see you. I think that's wonderful. However, the belief that the prayers of a spiritual leader are more impactful than the prayers of just a spiritual person, right? A religious person sort of stems from this, this hierarchy of connection, this hierarchy of, I, I don't know how to like word it correctly, but it's this weird, like they, they do to themselves what they do to other religions, the pastor's the most valid. You are the least valid. And you mm -hmm. need them to validate your religious experience for it to be authentic. Mm -hmm. And that can be very dangerous. Well, anytime you need someone else to validate your lived experience, dangerous is implied. Yeah, it's bad. It's very bad. <laughs> bad for you, bad for everyone. <laughs> yeah, anytime you're seeking validation from outside, particularly validation from an authority figure, uh, and that power dynamic comes into play, mm -hmm. that's an incredibly dangerous situation. Very. I think it's kind of like, this is, this is kind of a stretch, but kind of like, like scientists. So like the scientist knows a lot of stuff about that one thing, and they're an expert on it. Like a pastor, he went to seminary probably, so he knows a lot about the Bible. You know, he knows a lot of right. facts, and he knows a lot of history. What he doesn't know is what God wants and the exact thoughts of God, the, your exact thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, anything like that. He knows facts, not you. Yes, and not God. 
have a great analogy for this. Um, so in all of our classes, we were taught this kind of similar refrain that I, I do agree with and I like a lot and it's very applicable here. Um, so the idea is that counselors are the experts on the book stuff. So the counselors know the interventions, we know the techniques, but ultimately we don't know the client. The client is the expert in themselves and their life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I am in no way trying to create any sort of parallel or similarity between counselors and pastors, but in, in a similar way, pastors know the book stuff. Spirituality is between you and your spiritual higher power or you and the universe or whatever um, you identify with. And, and the pastor cannot know that. So book stuff for the pastor, spiritual stuff for yourself. And we cut out what I said because like someone could like think I was saying, don't listen to scientists. And with everything going on right now, I do not want that <laughs> no, to be please the listen message. to scientists. They work <laughs> very please hard. Please listen to scientists. Yeah, just please. qualify it right now. They know what they're talking about with that thing. So your pastor probably knows more about the Bible than you do. He's probably read it more. Very much so. Yeah. It's the last question. And we can do this in the five minutes that we have remaining. Okay. Um, then we'll do the, the last section will be leaving or adapting. So that can okay. be its own section. All right. Next question is, does the message of love come in the form of tough love as the primary driver? That's mm. toxic. Oh, yeah. Super toxic. <laughs> tough I love has a that. place and tough love should still feel like love. Gotcha. So like when they say love, are they talking about tough love? Because this is one thing that kind of makes me mad when people say tough love. Tough love very often is not love. Love is compassionate and it is patient and it is kind. And that is pretty much it. Tough love to me is when you made a big boo-boo mistake, made big messy. And somebody who really cares about you is like upset at you, telling you like you're worth more than this. You shouldn't like the like going back to an ex and you get mad at your friend and you're like, you're better than this. Like you deserve better than this. Like, I don't understand. Like that's tough love. That's like kind of the extent of it. Tough love is not telling somebody you're going to hail and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I, that's just tough love. No, 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 it's not. No, no. that's an emotional attack. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tough love to me is an easy solution to a complex problem. Um, and it's lazy and and consider it and usually no i'm not even gonna say usually um yeah i'm just gonna leave it that. it's lazy and inconsiderate I'm trying to try to find the verse and i i can't remember it um love is patient love is kind no uh it's like take 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 pride when god punishes you for he's like doing it because he loves you or whatever do you know what i'm talking about i can't remember the ver i've heard it plenty of times but i yeah. can't remember the, the reference i, I couldn't tell where it's from I feel like I, that's like I, I trust a God who resides within the paradigm of love. Uh, I trust that the punishment is brought out through uh, mercy and grace. I mean, sure, the earth will like open up and swallow you, but like with love, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Tough love doesn't make sense to me. In fact, tough love. I think you said it best. Tough love often, though. I think I believe the root of it is laziness. Yeah. Like a lot of let's. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. A lot of parents who use tough love didn't want to be parents. And it's also a personal experience. <laughs> also personal experience. <laughs> and I'm not trying to call people who do this lazy. I'm saying it's a lazy technique. It's a, yeah, it's a lazy um, technique. 
because this this might be what they know. This might be how their parents treated them. Um, and so they never were able to have a model of successful parenting. So I'm not trying to call them out and say, you're a bad parent. Uh, I'm just trying to say there is other ways that are more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even in the sense of tough love, but I mean, look, scientifically, we've, we've proven that positive reinforcement, like with rewards and stuff like that works better than negative reinforcement. So why can't I just hit my kid and they not poop on the floor anymore? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to close this section here. And then next we are talking about uh, ways in which you can leave your religion, your religious or your religious just environment, not your faith, unless you want to, or adapt. So I'm talking and about uh, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to bring REM in this, right? Yes, we are. We sure are. 1,000%. Thanks for listening to Not As Christian Is When We Started. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Pocket Cast, or Anchor FM, be sure to share that link. Our email will always be in the description, and we are happy and willing to take any questions you may have. And remember, if you enjoyed today's episode, my name is Jesse, and if you hated it, my name is Ben.